Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I am Amina Tuso. And I'm Ann Friedman. I'm going to be honest with you. Today is a 100% fangirl interview. I talked to Elaine Laney Louie, who is a Canadian TV host and the founder of LaneyGossip.com. And as you know, LaneyGossip.com, a very important part of my media diet. Wow, the most patient woman in the world, Anne Friedman. Hello. Listen, we a lot of patience is being asked of everyone these days. So I really, I cannot accept that distinction, but I do appreciate. <laughs> oh. I, how you doing over there? You know, <laughs> right in this moment, talking to you, I'm doing okay. I have some mild menstrual cramps and I'm kind of hungry for lunch but that is that is the immediate bodily update um how may, are you doing may, may they remain wi- uh, mild wild <laughs> <laughs> what will you may do your cramps your- remain forever wild running free <laughs> what's, what's that Mary Oliver poem what will you do with your one wild cramp <laughs> oh my god if only I had like one wild and precious cramp like that would be a, a delightful <laughs> vacation from my uterine reality let me tell you <laughs> Uh, yeah, just can you imagine the life just being like, oh, there it is. Wild and precious. Now moving on with my month, wow. you know, <laughs> just one pang, one pang, one <laughs> pang of cramping. I, you know, here's what I'll say about not having a uterus. It's lit. it's so it's funny it's like i think about you know every once in a while i just like "Eh, i don't have a uterus and then you think about the little bit of trauma that comes with that and then i remember that i don't have a period at all and that is um would not trade that for the world let me say you have done your time in the years that you did have a period (laughs) you have really put in it was not a singular one wild and precious it's more like one wild and precious lifetime of menstruation that you have already been through so i feel i feel fine about um all all of the money i'm saving from (laughs) non-menstrual products listen uh it's it's time to make my first million um (laughs) (laughs) just just like you know menstrual product savings alone like ibuprofen savings alone (laughs) (laughs) um see you at neiman marcus oh oh and what a day what a day I know. Well, today's episode is very exciting. Who who is with us today? I'm going to be honest with you. Today is a 100% fangirl interview. I talked to Elaine Laney Louie, who is a Canadian TV host and the founder of LaneyGossip.com. And as you know, LaneyGossip.com, a very important part of my media diet. Absolutely. I my like exposure to Lainey in this era of my life is mostly the Show Your Work podcast, um, which I love. So um, good. But yes, respect respect to all work in the Lainey Gossip universe. Lainey Gossip is someone who I find to be incredibly smart about all things gossip, but also someone who I think just like very generously 
is teaching you um, how she is working in the writing. We are all growing together. Over the years, I have read this website. My own views about celebrity gossip have changed a lot. And I am constantly challenged with um, how much of it I consume, but also how much of it is, uh, you know, and whether it's important or not. Because as Lainey and I talk about, gossip is actually a really, really, really important cultural lens to understand the world and to understand power, to understand wealth, to understand like all sorts of cultural issues. But it's also true that, um, you know, gossip can also be trash sometimes. And so she just threads this really interesting line. And I think that a thing that her uh, media empire has in common with our tiny humble podcast (laughs) is that we, you know, like we are constantly elevating conversations that people don't believe are important. So whether it's gossip or it's talking about pop culture or it's talking about, you know, like secrets and things that you hear whispered, those things tend to be, you know, I would say like they tend to be very feminized and therefore people do not take them seriously. But the truth is that gossip is also really, really, really important when it comes to like teaching you things about how all sorts of systems work. So, for example, if you think about Me Too, um, one interpretation of Me Too is that it was truly just a whisper campaign that finally got loud enough that people started paying attention. Right, which is what we are also seeing happen right now as people um, come forward and talk about their racist and racialized experiences in various workplaces, many of them media workplaces, like very similar pattern there. Man, there is so much to talk about with that, like all of the news that we're seeing come out of Refinery29, Bon Appetit, um, probably by the time this podcast airs, (laughs) I don't know, like more companies will face consequences, who knows? But today, I think we just we're really just going to focus on this conversation with Lainey. But just like our Joe Biden conversation, it will be a two part series on on what the fuck is going on in media. And so, you know, today you get the treat, the dessert. And uh, probably (laughs) next week, (laughs) probably (laughs) next week, we'll get the vegetables. You know what I'm saying? It's not it's not fair to say that um, the conversation today is not vegetables, because actually I learned a lot. And we're just living in a really interesting moment in media and a lot of like plate tectonics are shifting and that's good and bad for very many different reasons. Yeah. And I just have to say too, that like to what you were saying about light conversations versus political conversations, you know, one thing that I am really seeing a lot of people grapple with is like, how do I kind of do activism as part of my day job or how do I like, you know, integrate all of these things that I really care about, or maybe that I am only starting to really be vocal about for the first time. And I just want to shout out the Lainey Gossip homepage, which at this moment is has an article about Ava DuVernay's influence, has an article about anti-Black racism on set in Hollywood, has an article about copaganda, aka like pro-police media and shows, and also has um, a thing about J.K. Rowling's transphobia. Like, you know, it's not literally just like, what are the royals wearing? She's really taking this platform and saying like, okay, you're on a gossip website because you care about this industry and you care about like what is up with public figures. And we're going to give you that. And we are also going to give you the ways that is intersecting with politics. And I think you are 100% right that she's a real model in this regard. We love to see it. We love to see it. So I'm excited for you to listen. And we talk about so many things. Uh, My 
total and utter disdain for royals. We talk about like, you know, how do you, how does one even get like super well sourced in the world of of gossip? Like how do you make decisions about what you publish or not? And also like how do you just grapple with the fact that the world is changing as you're doing the work that you're doing? And, you know, and at the end, Lainey and I get like very real about, you know, feelings about being uh, women in media. I can't wait. I'm Lainey. I'm the founder of LaineyGossip.com and I'm also a TV host in Canada, but mostly I identify myself as a gossip. I cannot tell you how excited I am to talk to you. This is truly a pandemic highlight for me. I didn't know that there were pandemic highlights. Listen, you got to take your... <laughs> but I'm happy to be yours. you got to take your pleasures where you can get them. But, you know, for me, I'm just like, oh, someone I have read for years and years and years and years and years. And also that is always in the back of my mind when I think about really important questions about how I consume media. And also, like, I think of you a lot as someone who is in a really powerful way, doing a, a kind of media studies that people need. And so it's just it's just a real treat to talk to you today. I appreciate that. It means a lot to me. And I have to say, um, I certainly, if I go back to the beginning of my career and how I used to talk about celebrities, I don't know that, no, I can say for sure. It wasn't the way I talk about them now, but hopefully, like all of us, we learn and we grow. And um, for me, it's about gossip as a form of communication and defending it as a valid form of communication. And if I am to be the gossip crusader, I have to do it responsibly, but in a fun way. So to know that you are paying attention and are reading, it means a lot to me. And I will certainly go forth with my crusade with more confidence. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting to hear you talk about how, you know, like the way that you also cover celebrity has changed because you're so right that every year we have all a new different understanding about celebrity and about privacy and about media and, and all the things that are happening. I'm just so curious how how you came to found the website. I was between jobs and this is a long time ago. This was like 2002, 2003. And so I just started sending an email to two girlfriends I used to work with at the previous job I was at. And it was a daily musing on celebrities. And they ended up sending that email to their friends. And then those people sent it to their friends. And soon there was this distribution list for this newsletter that was thousands of people long. So I had a friend who was in web development. And, and back then, blogs were just starting. I know it sounds hard to believe now, but he said, I'll just build you a blog. So he built me a blog and I took the newsletter and put it into the blog. And that just kind of took off and people started reading it. And it was shared in Hollywood and in New York and in London. And that's when I kind of started building up a stable of sources over time. And at the beginning, it was really how we talk about celebrities with our girlfriends. So it's fitting that I'm on your show. It's what you would say to your girlfriend over a glass of wine on Friday nights. And this is in the early 2000s, the mid 2000s. And I wouldn't say that I was the most evolved in my personal views. The things I used to say then I would never say now. And as I grew, I'm happy to think that the people who read my site grew as well. 
and the way we started talking about celebrities changed. And I realized that there was a deeper conversation to be had when on the surface we are discussing who's dating who or who's wearing what. We were actually exploring who we are as people, as a society, how we relate to each other, how we balance our perspectives, what our boundaries are. And so from there, I, I would say towards, you know, 2008, 2009 is when I, I began to really take a more media analysis angle towards my writing and the website. And that continues today. There is a real tension between, you know, the thing that you were saying about um, gossip being a lens through um, which we can see culture and also realizing that some people are being are the people who work in your industry. Some of them are taken more seriously than others. And I think that I struggle a lot sometimes with the things that people say about women who work in the industry because there is this wanting to just really... I don't know, to say almost that like, oh, the things that women talk about are not important, right? And that like gossip is not important and it's just this like salacious bad thing. And I think that if you are paying attention, you know that that is not true. 100%. And as an extension to what you just shared, I often find that what we all do is really the same thing, but it is, it's the subject matter that changes and then there's a value system added to it. For example, we might be doing a he said, she said about celebrities and we're not taken seriously. And then there's, for instance, a docuseries, which I loved called The Last Dance, which is about sports and Michael Jordan and basketball, which was a 10 episode he said, see, he yeah. said, he said, really. And it was all gossip. And people approach that with such gravitas as if it's actually more transformative or revealing about who we are and what people are like um, than a conversation about who's dating who. It's the same, but it's just certain things are assigned a higher value. And I object to that because it's genderized. Yeah, I mean, I am always impressed when I read your site, and it's so clear that you are also an investigative reporter. You know, I was like, oh, this is not just this. It's like sometimes I read royal blogs, and I'm like, where is this coming from? Like, you know, is there some, like, pigeon that is just, like, dropping off mail? And then you go to Lainey Gossip, and you're like, oh, like this lady is working the phones like this. It just, there is a quality to it that feels different. And I, you know, and sometimes it's the tone, but I think it's also the way that you like very casually discuss your sourcing and I, uh, you know, like without revealing too much, I'm just like very curious. Mm -hmm. How do you acquire sources? Like, how do you know to trust them? Like how, you know, like how are you so well sourced? At the beginning of my career, I, the sources came to me because they probably ended up reading laneygossip.com and I'm very fortunate and and they were people who worked in the industry and may have liked the angle that I was taking they would reach out and say you know what your observation is is right on or they would say you're close but you know here's a little bit more context and they just kind of liked the tone that I was presenting now I'm fortunate in that um, laneygossip.com has been around for over 15 years. I also work in the media industry in Canada for the biggest broadcaster. So naturally that just puts me in certain places where I have to be talking to people as part of my other job. 
And because I'm in front of them and they can see that I'm professional, I show up, I <laughs> have broadcast standards, I build up, I build up trust, they feel more comfortable sharing things with me. Um, the most common question I get is, oh, there are two. Who are your sources? Which I will never say, <laughs> except I can give a, <laughs> it's a, I can give a very roundabout answer, which is the entertainment ecosystem is so broad. People think celebrities and they immediately think ab about the people who are on screen, but they don't consider that, let's say, a film set is hundreds of people and that includes production staff, PAs, catering, hair and makeup, drivers, any one of those people in the ecosystem can be a source. They are intimately connected to the organism of making a piece of culture. Um, and then the other question I get is why, why, what's in it for them? Like, do you pay? And I can say, no, I can say, I can tell you, and I hope you believe me, I have never, ever, ever paid for a story or a tip. Um, and what's in it for them, why they're sharing is, first of all, it's human nature. People love to talk. <laughs> like people like to unburden some, like unburden themselves of what they know. Um, it does give them a sense of th like a sense, a thrill to know that they contributed to a story. That's one aspect of it. Also in the gossip industry, the gossip itself is the currency and the exchange. So, when I work with sources, there's often like a, hey, I, I need something. Um, I need you to verify something for me. I heard this. Can you can you follow up in your circles and let me know if you they've heard the same? And then maybe six months down the road, that person might call me and say, hey, I just want to check something. I heard something. Can you verify on your end if you've heard something? And it kind of works like that, at least in my experience. Does that yeah. make sense? It's like a, I was reading an, uh, like a, a profile of you a while back where you said that, you know, gossip is nothing more than just an exchange of valuable information. And yes, that is like gossip in its noblest form, right? And in the, <laughs> the most misused way that it's interpreted is as a rumor. And so I wonder how do you make the distinction between when something is valuable information that is... Um, should be shared and should be examined and, you know, is like worthy of like looking into and something that is just a rumor and potentially just harmful to share. Well, if it's a source I've worked with for a long time and I know that they've come through for me, I'm going to take that information a lot more seriously than a random person who messages me with a Hotmail account. And I'm lucky in that I have connections who have established a really good working relationship with me. And I know that if they're telling me something, they either would have seen it or they wouldn't be telling me if it wasn't pretty legit. And if I'm not confident about it, and if it is, as you say, a rumor, then I generally tell the readers, I put it in the writing and I'll say, listen, this is something I've heard. It's not verified. It's the word I use is it's not slam dunk. People are whispering about this. Who knows if it's legit? And that's sort of how I present it to people. And then I'll go back and correct it. Hey, she's not pregnant. 
or they're not dating, or this isn't a fomance. This is a fomance. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I um I would read a blog all day that was just about uh, fomances because I have my own opinion <laughs> about them. Um, yeah, I mean it's. I like I love hearing you talk about that because going back to something that we had mentioned earlier about what we consider legitimate gossip or not is that I think a lot about the Weinstein story for example and so much of what we've what the fallout of Me Too has been and I think that if we're all really honest Me Too at the beginning is literally just women gossiping to each other about things that they have heard and and the yeah. you know and the kind of and the power that that has to really dismantle the system that is just something that i think about a lot when i like think about all of the gossip that i am privy to and the gossip that i choose to share mm-hmm. or the gossip that i keep to myself well wasn't the expression that came out of that the whisper network mhm and if you visualize what a whisper network might look like maybe you would you would you would think in your mind a graphic of someone leaning into someone else's ear with one hand held up to their mouth and um and leaning into the other person and that's sort of like a very recognizable image of people gossiping right or passing around a rumor and yet that whisper network or that that image with not very positive associations actually helped first of all protect many women and eventually brought down well it was too like it was so late but eventually brought down a very powerful person and yet there are people who would still disparage the visual of people passing a secret on from one to the to the other and i think that there is a different way of looking at an information exchange and that's a really good example of it um that's such a good point. The thing that everyone that I talked to when I told them that I was interviewing you, the most pressing question that they all had for you was, <laughs> can you please uh-huh. explain to us why the Kate and Megan um bridesmaid feud is a story that will not die that is always resurfaced in the news? Isn't that like a we- isn't that like a weird one? But like legitimately nine it- people today have texted me about it. I wonder if they're like historical roots to this one person and particularly women, one woman making another woman cry is I wonder if it's because we've all had maybe our own experience with someone making us cry, whether or not, whether it's you were eight years old and you were on the playground and Kimmy took your toy away or Kimmy embarrassed you in front of the person you liked or someone tripped you and laughed whatever um i think it touches on a memory that all of us have maybe a still open wound there's also i think the bridezilla fascination so we all remember i think once in a while like once a year there's a crazy bridezilla story that comes Always. out right and we, we all pass it around right and it goes viral and then you're like did you hear about that bridezilla who made her bridesmaids do this and so this was the royal version of Bridezilla which was Megan was so allegedly so Bridezilla-ish about whatever her bridesmaids that she went totally nuclear and poor Kate cried. 
Except if <laughs> this wouldn't even go viral if this was just civilians, because it would be the tamest bridezilla story ever. What do you mean? Like they just couldn't figure out if the little girls should wear right, tights or not. And at a this wedding. Was a thing. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, that's nothing compared to the bridezilla from North Carolina who made all her bridesmaids dye their hair zebra stripes. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. So <laughs> So I think that it taps into the, the, the bridezilla fascination we ha all have and whatever residual memory, haunting memory that we've had of someone making us cry. And also, um, I think that there was a fantasy at the very beginning that Kate and Megan would be, I hate this expression and probably your listeners do too, but that's the reason why I'm saying it that Kate and Megan would be hashtag squad goals. <laughs> fair. That's fair. Right? That's fair. Because that was the fantasy and, and that was sold to us, that they would be this foursome. Kate and Will and Megan and Harry, all of them super attractive, all of them quite tall. They're very tall, all of them. Like, it's it's a thing. It, maybe because I'm short, I am obsessed with that aspect of 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 them but they're very attractive <laughs> and tall and these are two brothers who are as close as can be and then they should be sisters and we had this thing that it was going to be the fab four hashtag squad goals and we all love celebrity friendships and the illusion was broken by this one fight and in in our minds now what we're visualing is kate on one side of a rope which is actually a pair of tights and megan on the other side of the rope which is a pair of tights and they're having a tug of war <laughs> and That's charlotte right. is crying in the middle <laughs> i mean you know it's this the it's very telling that when i was like talking to my friends about talking to the royal like that's all everyone is talking about i think that one it's because i'm going to confess to you now that i am down for all sorts of reading about gossip but there is something that irks me a lot about reading about the royal family i think it's because i think that mm -hmm. monarchy in general is a scam and i also really you know, I'm just like, why are they always in our tabloids? I get why they're in your tabloids or in yeah. Canada, Commonwealth counts. But for here, I'm always like, they don't <laughs> even go here. I'm so tired of seeing them on, on covers of things. And there is, and I think that for me, it's because it taps into this, you know, I like, I'm not saying that I'm a more noble person than the, you know, anyone who reads celeb gossip. I just think that for me, it really touches this point of, um, the class aspect of it like really irks me. I don't like the idea of like these grown tall people who are all able-bodied, not <laughs> having jobs, living, you know, like off the dole. We don't really need them for anything ceremonial. They're like, grandma is not going to die for 20 more years. And then the dad, you know, like, I'm just like, this is such a family drama I don't need in my life. And it annoys me so much, but I've been paying really close attention to your coverage. And I find that like, you are generally like very positive of Meghan and Harry, but you are also, but it's like very fair, you know? I think that I, I tend to become like very petty. I'm not on team anybody. I'm just like, please remove me from <laughs> the conversations about this. I, I hate that people, you know, like racism is a part of the conversation with Meghan. And I think that that really endears her to me. But there has been something deeply frustrating to me about watching coverage of this, not acknowledging that all of these people, I'm like, you are all grown humans who should have jobs. Like, I cannot believe we are having a conversation like this about you people in 2020. 
I'm glad you're saying this because I also find it as a Canadian very confusing the American fascination with the British royal family because you guys are the ones who like fought a war to be rid of those people. I know. So, so that's number one. But I do think that what's interesting and fascinating and frustrating with America, I hope I can say that, is that on the one hand, there is, yes, independence. You fought for your independence. You did not want to be part of like the UK. And yet the other institution of America that isn't the British royal family is Disney. And Disney's creation of the prince and princess fantasy. And I think that that is very much a part of the American DNA. So on the one hand, where Americans are non-monarchy, there is something very American that created this eternal dream of people wanting to be princes and princesses. Um, in animation. <laughs> yeah, you are really blowing my mind right now. And so <laughs> with this. So I think I wonder if that I, I, I hear your confusion and frustration as well, but I wonder if there is some way to relate. Hey, someone way smarter than some me can maybe write this essay or write a book about this, but the relationship between the British royal family and Disney and how the two work together to keep America royal obsessed where is this book maybe you can add that in your empire of things that you're building i think that you're absolutely right i know that like a point of frustration for me when i see the coverage whether it's in people or it's in a blog or whatever the reason it irks me so much is because that that fantasy is such a, i was like all of this is a mirage this family is so invested in like you know this narrative that they're these like classy british people the minute you scratch the surface, I was like, they have family drama like everyone. Oh, they're dirty. There's nothing classy about this. And I think that it's my eternal frustration with Americans think that anyone with an accent is like a classy person. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, first of all, these people are wild. <laughs> like everything from like the tampon problem to Fergie and Andrew. I was like, like, I was like, my family is crazy and we are not here yet. I find myself really both confused and frustrated at how you know, every pillar of media like really acts in doing propaganda for a thing that I was like, we should probably all care about less because as an institution, it is not an important one to uphold. It's not. But I will say these people are fun to talk about because they think of themselves as above drama and they're so dramatic. <laughs> it's crazy. If you just go in point form, what has gone down the last 30 years between infidelity, mistresses, and rumors of secret fathers and, you know, secret mothers. And I don't know, um, also one of the princes being possibly connected to a serial pedophile. Then we have the whatever is going on between Will and Harry and Kate, they're so messy. And it, it's shocking to me that they are upheld as the standard bearers of elegance. Are you crazy? Uh, listen, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I hope to hear you say these exact words in The Crown season 25 <laughs> when, you, you play, when you play yourself in this era. Let's take a break. 
we'll move on from the Royals very quickly, but I'm just wondering, like, kind of what is your take on the situation now with fraction of the family moving to America? It's this really interesting, like, intersection of, you know, like, royal whatever and also celebrity. Yeah. That is really colliding into... It's, you know, I, I'm just like very fascinated about that aspect of the story where I was like, wow, all of these worlds really are melding into each other. Well, and, you know, you're my girlfriend now, so I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to like complain bitch to you about, you know, my frustrations about this story about Harry and Meghan moving to yes, L.A. Because me. you mentioned earlier, you know, you, it bugs you that Meghan is treated like with so has to deal with so much racism. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's gross. It's so unfair. And I 100% obviously agree with how she and Harry are pushing back against like the racist treatment from the British press and even members of the British family. And here's another reason why racism sucks. Racism sucks for all the, all the obvious reasons, but it also sucks because it's kind of removed the opportunity for media analysts like me to be able to just talk about Meghan and Harry like thirsty celebrities. These two, as much as I support their case against the racist, I also want to be able to say, these two are fame whores. Okay. They're oh, thank so, you. <laughs> right. And I, I, I'm, and I, I, I'm, I worry though. I worry because you know how people can overreact these days. And so I don't want to be accused of being a racist when I'm critical of Harry and Meghan through a celebrity lens, the same way I would be critical of any celebrity, because I do want to judge them on the basis of their celebrity decisions, just like we judge Reese Witherspoon or Taylor Swift or whoever. And that would be a fun conversation to have, except I don't want in doing that to get lumped in with the racists. I don't Mm. want to be associated with the people who hate them just because she's biracial. I don't have anything to do with those people. And so I have to be able to carve out a very safe space where I don't get dumped on by the people who accuse me of being a racist just because I'm trying to critically examine them through the lens of celebrity. And I also don't want to be associated with like the trash out there. So I'm glad that I'm talking to you because I hope you would understand that they've moved to Hollywood. They wanted to take a break and be undercover for a while, which they were doing just fine in Canada. But in the middle of a pandemic, these two moved to uh, Celebrity Central, like the the TMZ, the 30-mile zone. (laughs) And now there are drones flying over the house. And they've had to complain to the LAPD or the whoever the authorities are there. They say they kind of want to remain off the headlines for a bit. And so when they had their anniversary a couple of weeks ago, they were like, oh, we're just going to go low key. Every day, the week of their anniversary, we knew what cake they served, what they did, the gifts they exchanged, how they looked into each other's eyes under the stars. I mean, they, they could not stay away from us. And to me, that is so Kardashian that I would love to be able to like just have fun with that. But yeah. you can't, right? You can't because the conversations around them are just so heated and 
I worry that people can't filter through and pull apart what I'm actually trying to say and they'll just lump it in. So that's my venting session to you. I hope that, uh, but correct me if you, if I'm offside, please, if you think. No, you are not offside at all. And actually like very, like everything that you were saying is so close to like a lot of my feelings about this and it's complicated. It is. It is complicated because I do think there are valid, like obviously they have valid complaints. It's just that they're also, <laughs> they're also celebrities. They're living at Tyler Perry's. <laughs> right. I was like, it's possible. It is possible to experience racism because you are a person of color, but also be someone who is uh, perpetrating uh, class warfare on other people because you're a rich person. I'm like, we should be able to talk about those two things. Right. But- But we can't, but I guess like, you know, I want to push that a little further because I, you know, like you and I are talking about it. I know that Mm -hmm. a lot of people that listen to our show are familiar with this. There are a lot of people who work in your industry who are also familiar with this kind of struggle. And I like, I don't have a solution for it, but I do think that another thing that frustrates me about, you know, when we talk about consuming gossip critically is that we really give consumers a pass in not examining, you know, I was like, we're all part of the ecosystem. Every time I look at Daily Mail on that scroll bar, I am creating demand for this kind of news. Because I, I don't I don't believe that, you know, that consumers just get to skate away free, you know, and just say like, oh, like, I don't care. It's just completely, it's mindless reading for me. And I just wonder, you know, like, what is the real, are we ever going to have a real conversation about being critical consumers of this kind of news? Because to me, that's where the key is, right? Of saying, well, if we could trust everyone uh, to read this <laughs> with, uh, you know, with an understanding that we are all participating in the ecosystem, then it is possible to have a nuanced conversation about, hey, maybe don't be racist to the royal lady, but also they 1000% moved to LA because, you know, that one Disney job was not enough. So (laughs) it's just, you know, I just, I find myself really frustrated because I feel, you know, I feel a complicity in both in the system and in the demand, but also, you know, I both really enjoy this kind of news. I'm like, I'm not going to stop reading gossip. Like that's just not going to happen. I don't think that we're going to solve anything unless every single person that's part of it really is cognizant of what's going on. I agree. But the thing is what we're experiencing in cultural consumerism is really the same as what the whole world is experiencing with just information consumerism. Like this is just a microcosm of the misinformation or the lack of information that we're seeing around everything, science, the economy, politics, all of that, right? Yeah. Like when you're only reading the Daily Mail for your royal news and you're not balancing it with, I hope, Laney Gossip or Vanity Fair or Vulture, um, then isn't that the equivalent of only watching Fox News and not balancing it with real news? And so I, I think that's why, to me, always entertainment and culture conversations and gossip is infinitely interesting because it's just a reflection of the greater world. Like watching a baseball game isn't going to give you that. But understanding the gossip ecosystem is going to give you a lens into how the wider social fabric is functioning right now. 
You know, another thing I really appreciate about your website is that you are very good at filling the holes between the, you know, kind of what the celebrity PR needs are (laughs) and the, you know, what the actual truth is. It's very much, you're very uniquely positioned to explain like how a story is shaped. People never feel bamboozled by like, oh yeah, Khloe Kardashian really wanted me to know this about her and that's why it's in Lanny Gossip. When you hire your team or you like sit down to report a story or you you think about the editorial lens of your show, like is there like an ethos that is guiding all of that? And is there, um, you know, kind of a set of values that you check into? I think the f- most important value is you have to know, are we allowed to swear Yes. Are you kidding me? Please. Okay. My God, I haven't sworn once in 40 minutes. And oh my God. Just, <laughs> so I was going to say you have to. <laughs> okay. Go for it. So the ethos for me is you have to know your shit. Like I just happen to have an, like a photographic or whatever you want to call it memory for celebrity news. It's, <laughs> I wish I could apply that to physics, but it's not never happened to me for me. So I, I know my shit. And part of that is just because I have absorbed it. I've been following it for so long, but I do read everything. I try and look at every photo. I try and like, look at all the angles of everything. And then I try and go to my own media sources and figure out how the sausage is made, what the chain of communication is before a magazine article goes out. For example, what are the steps that need to, to happen? I think that the casual gossip consumer overlooks that the ecosystem follows a protocol. Like, for example, I mean, what's what's really timely right now is Kate Middleton or Duchess Kate or whatever we want to call her, her cover story in Tatler this month. People's basic lack of understanding of how an issue, a magazine issue like that happens. And I know you know this because you you work in media as well, but there's a lot of naivete out there about how someone can make up a story and just throw it into a magazine like Tatler because they're confusing it. They're conflating it with the National Enquirer. Tatler, as, as we all know, is an established glossy. It's upmarket. You can't just fuck around with just saying anything. There has to be a little bit of a scratch my back, I'll scratch your back relationship with their subject, right? And I'm trying to expose that to people when I'm writing about it. So the ethos is I have to be very, very well informed, but also the ethos is I want to inform. I want you to know the mechanics of the industry. Um, My husband was just saying to me that he hates when I use the word content. He thinks it's idly (laughs) and and very, (laughs) but it's a deliberate choice on my, my part because I, I want to be able to convey to people who come to the website that there is a guide to doing this, that people follow a playbook and I want to show them the playbook, or at least I want to be able to flip through as many pages of the page book with them as I can. So that's the guiding ethos. It's almost like, to me, it's less important who the subjects are. I like the work behind it. I love that. You know, earlier I alluded to your empire, but I really want to spend some time there. You have this like iconic website, deep roster of writers, you do a podcast, you are hosting TV shows. Like, what are you not doing is the real question. Um, But I just, you know, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about 
what all of that, you know, the body of work is that you're trying to establish and where your like where your ambitions are. Wow. This is gonna be a therapy session then. <laughs> um, <laughs> Listen, I'm I- here for it. <laughs> You're catching me at a really, I, I think you're catching me at a vulnerable time. I think a, a time where I've over the last three months, I've had a lot of, um, because there's so much uncertainty, I've had a lot of uncertainty about my ambitions and my goals. When you say the word empire, there's a part of me that is afraid to confirm. Yes, I'm building an empire because I'm afraid to sound like I'm overreaching. Could you build an empire out of something that started as a gossip column? So that's number one. I have to get over that. Yes, I did want to build an empire, wanted to have the website and the podcasts and be a broadcaster. I've written a book. My book came out six years ago. I have another a novel in mind that I want to find time to work on. I would like that novel to be turned into a series. I think it's very cinematic. I think it's perfect for television. I have never articulated that before, but I'm telling you because you're my girlfriend now. So those talks are in place. I just have to find the time to make those goals happen. And that's the biggest stress of my life is time. I don't know where I'm going to find the time to do all these things with all the things I have on the go. And also with this pandemic, I'm worried as all publishers are, you must understand this. You're a content creator to make my husband roll his eyes. And it's a scary time, right? Because we put a lot of time into creating our content. We want it to be profitable without being outrageous about it. And yet this is a volatile time for content creators. And so all of those things are swirling around in my head, which is why my answer to you is so convoluted and probably not very, doesn't make very much sense. Your answer is not convoluted at all, and it makes a lot of sense, and I really appreciate your vulnerability because I find that really inspiring. I think that it's um, it's really hard to, you know, just speak out loud the things that you want when there's not really a model for someone who looks like you who's doing all of those things, you know? So I appreciate do it. You, and- do you find it hard as someone who creates to express to the people who appreciate what you create that you want to be compensated for it? (laughs) Oh man, I, that's, it's so interesting. Like when you said that your husband hates the word content creator, I am at the, like my therapy session is that I'm still not at the point where I am admitting to myself that that's kind of what I do. You know, I'm just like, no, no, what? No, I know, but I'm, I'm being vulnerable with you now. Like my like real sickness is that I show up to do a, bazillion projects I enjoy doing all of them I really shy away from just being like okay this you know like this is my thing it's almost like I just have a very casual relationship with things that I'm successful at which is so you know it's so sick because yeah it just comes from a place of like if you own it then you know are you jinxing yourself are you being too full of yourself or whatever so I'm working on it but one thing that I do not suffer from is uh, asking people to compensate me for my time. That is, uh, okay. I don't know why, like, the other thing is really hard, but the thing of, like, mm, sorry, like, you should pay people for what they're right. worth is, it's not a conversation that I'm shy about, 
I just like, I grew up in a house where we didn't have anything. And so we talked about money all the time or the lack of Mm -hmm. it, you know? And so there was never, it never felt like impolite to talk about. But I also think that I, I really do it like as an act of politics because I'm like, I'm at the point where it doesn't cost me a lot to speak up for myself. And I know that when I do it, it empowers so many other people. Like I have seen it, you know? Yeah. And I'm so sure of it that I will always do it because it always makes a difference for someone else in a room, whether it's me or it's someone else. And it also really is like a muscle. It's like the more you do it, the easier it is. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's not to say that, you know, I, there's not times where like I'm in a room or I have an opportunity where I'm like, ah, like I, I would love to just do that. You know, and I also do make choices sometimes about like taking on work that is not paid because there is a trade-off. But it's like the number one thing that will always irritate me is if someone is asking for my time and tells me that it's good exposure for me. I'm like, first of all, people die of exposure, literally. And (laughs) second, um, you know, you just, I just see it so much with women and I see it with people of color. I see it with like every kind of marginalized person. We are always expected to work at a really high level and there is not really an understanding of the realities of our lives, you know? And Mm so I try to always just have that conversation as a way to really talk about a power dynamic, you know, because I do think that a lot of times people don't even think to compensate you because they're, they've never had to be in a position where it matters. Yeah. You know, like it matters. And I also think that, you know, it's the only way that we're going to close the gap in wealth building for us Yeah, is that you have to talk about it. And so I'm like, I'm definitely less shy about it. I know that the more I do it, the easier it is. But I also think that like as an act of solidarity, we should all be doing it in general because let me tell you, if you and I are worried about it, there are a lot of people that are looking to us who don't even have the words to say it for themselves. You're right. I I, I appreciate that. I, I think it. I read an interview with you, was it last year, where you were like straight up, last year I made $300,000 or was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna like, I, anyway, that happened, right? I did read an yeah. interview with yeah, you. When 100%. You very, it okay. happened and my dad was so mad about it, but yes. No, <laughs> but I will say that I read this interview and you were like, I made this much money. And I was like, Oh shit, this is amazing. And you were very detailed about how you made the money. You were like, I did this and I did a tour and anyway, and then there was some sponsored content that uh, you were, you broke that down in. And the reason why I like that so much is because, first of all, I love that authenticity. I love talking about money in the sense of like, as a Chinese woman, Chinese people just are all right up in your business about money all the time. Like if you walk into a Chinese person's home, or at least the Chinese people I know, they'll be like, come to my house, I bought it for this much money. And I paid this for Oh, do you like this toaster? I paid this much money for this toaster. Like oh my everything God, I was has born in the wrong culture. <laughs> that would have made me so happy. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a dollar sign attached to everything in a conversation with at least the Chinese people I know. Anyway, But I think it's very tricky when you cross culture and talk about money. For me, we'll, I run laneygossip.com. There has to be ads on the website that the ads are how I pay the freelancers who contribute to the website. And I, I, I believe in their work. I would like to uplift their work. I would like to create more space for the work, but I, I can't, I can't not pay for their work. Nobody contributes to laneygossip for free. They are paid per word. And so 
it's hard sometimes for me to get notes from people who will say, oh, there are too many ads on your site. And you have to balance like, you don't want to tell someone to fuck off, but you also want to say, how else am I going to pay for the photos that you're seeing and the writers and the, and the content? There's that word again, without charging a fee. These are my realities as a businesswoman, but I even yeah. sound apologetic saying that to you right now. You know what I mean? Like I put into, I put in my voice that apologetic tone and this is something I'm continually trying to work on. So I'm, I, like I, I made it, I made a point, like I had to ask you about that because your interview last year really um, stayed with me. You know, it's so fun to talk to you about this because I like, that's the thing that like in our business at Call Your Girlfriend, we talk about all the time, right? Like how do we, we are three women who make a show. We are like definitely, you know, like definitely self-identified feminists. And there is just an expectation that because we talk about our politics so much that we are also people who will, you know, like we'll work underpaid and we're not participating in capitalism. And I'm like, that is absolutely not uh, the correct assumption. I do think that it's, I think that you're right that it's tricky. I have made a decision for myself that I will not apologize for it and that my solution for it is to really explain my work to people because I think that a lot of times that misunderstanding comes from people not knowing what you do. And I think that when you're a woman, people also just think that you don't do anything. It's just like, oh yeah, mm -hmm. like Lainey Gossip. She just, she calls people and she just gets gossip. And there is not a reality of like, nope, like she is actually a manager. She has to pay for these wire photos. She has to manage a payroll. She has, like there's, you know, you're, you do a hundred jobs. Like if you break down the task of what it is that you're doing, I think that that's really important. And it's my roundabout way of saying that it's why it's so important for us to really to talk about your work in specifics and going mm -hmm. back to that thing that I was telling you earlier about how I have a really hard time like owning all the things that I do. And the reason that yeah. I'm working on it is because I was like, you know what, like if I do not explain to people the mechanics of my work, of course, they're not going to respect it. And of course, they're not going to respect how much time and effort I put into it, you know? So it is annoying whenever I'm like negotiating, uh, you know, like a fee with someone. Um, now I'm lucky enough, I have to do it less and less because I have management where they can have those conversations, but I'm still like pretty involved of saying like, actually, I think that my value is X. If, if people don't like that, then I'm like, that's fine. You don't have to pay for it. Like, that's totally fine. But I do think that a piece of this puzzle is really it is explaining like what you do. And I think that doing it in a way that is not defensive and not meek is like, it's a challenge for all of us, but we do have to do it. It's, it's why I'm fascinated with the business that you are building because there are so many moving pieces to it. Right. And I recognize that like every time you add a new thing or you do something else, it takes away from your time, but it also means that you have to create like new value and new revenue there. And so to put this all full circle, I think also it's why uh, consumers shouldn't get away with just getting things and not understanding how the things that they get are made. You know, with our show, I'm like, you get a free show every Friday because we have advertising. If you don't like the advertising, tough nuts, man. But that is the way that you get a free show. We could charge you five, ten, fifteen dollars for it, like other, you know, like other places do. We have made a decision for our sanity and our, you know, just like time management that that's not a, a membership system is not what we want. Yeah. And again, I was like, everyone has choices. But if you are in 2020, you get a thing for free. Let me tell you, free is not free. Like someone is paying for it somewhere. And 
we like on our show we talk a lot about the struggles that we have with advertisers that we approve or not and mm-hmm. you can imagine it's it's tough to have that conversation with advertisers and it's tough to have that conversation with the listeners but we're just like here's the deal we hold ourselves to a really high standard and everyone who works from our team um we believe that we want to pay them fairly and this is you know i'm like capitalism sucks but this is the system that we are working with so we're all trying to make it work well this is why i think that it's so interesting going forward to you know, bring it back to celebrity, which is my job is to observe them is for a long time, we didn't have to see how the sausage was made, so to speak, where celebrity was concerned, because part of celebrity is the mystery for sure. And yet we're moving into a time when it's not that cool to, as we've seen during the pandemic to be like, here's my fucking mansion and my Lamborghini <laughs> and uh, right without, people who have mansions <laughs> telling you to stay home is not a good look <laughs> right and so there are celebrities who are getting who are were quick to realize that and actually showing us their work like giving us the behind the scenes on how they do things right and what they're busy with and all the things that they're juggling there are also old school celebrities who who still want to maintain the veil or, or, or you know to stay behind the curtain and yet also live that celebrity life and i wonder whether or not that class warfare is going to manifest itself between celebrity and civilian in a sense of like oh okay did you buy like your eighth house I want to know, like, can you show me all the work that you did? Like, are you, do you sleep? And that's why Beyonce is so brilliant. You know what I mean? Because we never doubt that when we don't see Beyonce, she isn't hustling and working. We already know. We already know how busy and how hard Beyonce works. But I, I think that there are a lot of people who haven't, a lot of celebrities, and that's where I think I might be focusing is a lot of them still remain quite mysterious about how they do their work and how they fill their hours. Right. It's like, let's just show the work. Just show everyone like how you're, I don't know. I think about this all the time with people who are really wealthy and famous. It's just either keep it to yourself or you kind of have a duty to explain how your life is made possible. I don't, yeah, I, I, I wonder, I just, maybe this won't happen at all. I'm just, as a celebrity analyst, I'm just curious to see whether or not the, the audience's appetite is going to get, like, they're going to have more of an appetite for, show me, what do you do? How do you do it? Yeah, I think it, I honestly think it just depends on like, probably when you got famous, how you got famous. Like I, in the pandemic, have discovered that Kate Blanchett is my favorite actor, like, because I was like, I don't know anything about this person, and I enjoy all their movies. Yeah. So <laughs> it was, it was really refreshing. And my heart was broken when someone told me she was Australian. I was like, I don't want to know anything about her. She's a <laughs> cipher to me. Um, but I do think that but she's also not th- showing you her $18 million home. Exactly. And like, she's not on social media. She's not participating in this weird economy of, you know, like, show me who you are, and what you have. I just like you, I wonder, because I think that it's, it's all about drawing boundaries between you and the public, but also the social contract of what it means to want to be, you know, to be known for 
to be known for your work yeah. and on a smaller scale. I think that that is also something that even people who are not famous have to contend with. The impulse to want to be known for your work is one that we should be interrogating all of the time because if it if it means that you have to live a visible life, you know, it comes with its own set of challenges. And culturally we are navigating them in a way that is, you know, I think we're just all figuring it out as we're going. Well, I mean, I take it back to your comment about the royals. Like, you guys don't even have jobs. <laughs> <sighs> I'm telling you, that is that will never not make me mad. Like adult children living on the dole. It's awful. Um, Lainey, I could talk to you all day, but I just want to say thank you so much for making the time to come on the show and also just for, you know, just for uh to to make your husband mad for the content that you put out because it i you know it really does make a difference and it is such a corrective to so much other media that we're consuming and i just really appreciate that i can be entertained and also learn something at the same time so you know and that there's also just room to to change as a person and all of that can be acknowledged so i really appreciate you Thank you for having me. I, I just, I'm putting out there, I don't want to seem too desperate, but if you ever want me to come on again to talk about anything, I am, oh I God. would done love to. That's Lainey Gossip, y'all. Uh, thank you, Lainey. Thank you, Aminatu So, still my favorite interviewer in the business. <laughs> <laughs> even in fangirl mode, even in fangirl mode, I love you. <laughs> um, she is truly the best. Uh, thank you for coming on the show, Lainey. Um, come back anytime. And um, you are my other favorite interviewer in the game. So, you know, I'm really happy that we get to work together. Uh, me too. And I am excited for the conversation we're going to have next week when so many more things will have happened i'm sure <laughs> like i can't even i can't even speculate on what our reality might be in one more week but i am excited to process it with you i'm happy to announce that i've taken the job as um editor in chief at bon appetit so i won't be here next week but uh, i'll see <laughs> you i'll see you in the test kitchen <laughs> wow okay i will see you on every corner of the internet <laughs> bye boo boo bye you can find us many places on the internet. Callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on all your faves. Subscribe, rate, review, you know the drill. You can call us back, leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. You can email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at callyrgf. And you can buy our book, Big Friendship, anywhere you buy books. Our theme song is by Robin. Original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. We have editorial support from Laura Bertacci. Producer is Jordan Bailey. This podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. <laughs>